It's October 9th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got a special brief for you this morning that is shaping America and the world. We've got a new war in the Middle East to talk about this morning, an attack on Israel by Islamic militants out of the Gaza Strip, organized and funded by the government of Iran. There are over a thousand people dead, scores kidnapped, and frankly, a world in shock at how such a thing could have happened because this militant operation was so well organized, so well resourced, and horrifically effective that it's raising questions about how intel services around the world could have missed it. So we'll talk about that as part of the 10 things to be thinking about this morning as we look towards the future. Plus, we should talk about the reasons for why we should care. And if you're looking for a reason beyond the humanitarian, folks, we should consider this. The U.S. Navy is sending an aircraft carrier group to Israel's aid this morning with thousands of U.S. servicemen and women now very much in harm's way. But before we get to all of that, let's step back for a moment to understand what led to this series of horrific events over the weekend. And to do that, we need to go back in time. But how far back should we go? Because we could go back thousands of years to understand this Middle Eastern conflict. It's a conflict full of competing tribes and kings, empires, religions, all fighting over this same piece of territory. And I will tell you that up front, talking about this issue gets really tricky because of all those groups and passions, especially, well, when you consider we are a podcast that runs about 25 minutes. So with great appreciation for the nuances and complexities and history of this very, very tough issue, I'm going to go back just 100 years in time and keep this historical summary both simple and careful. So let's start with this. About 100 years ago, the United Kingdom was given control of this area that is commonly referred to as Palestine. That control was given to the Brits by an organization called the League of Nations. It was a predecessor of the United Nations. Well, later, the British government signaled that they would support the establishment of a Jewish state in Palestine. And that accelerated an existing movement of Jewish people going back to that region. That was a problem for some, including Arabs and Muslims, because the land, in their view, had, well, shall we say, contested ownership. And that contested nature gets back to that 2,000-year history of tribes and kings and religion and, and empires that you can read about in the transcripts. But in the year 1948, things changed pretty dramatically. The British ended their era there, and Israel declared its independence. They were admitted into the United Nations shortly thereafter. But from that point on, there have been an unending series of wars and conflicts, which at their very root were over this question. Does Israel have a right to exist? Or to put that a little bit differently, is Israel's creation some terrible folly of history from over 100 years ago? Well, for decades, Arab nations answered those questions by saying, no, Israel should not exist. And when Arab armies couldn't push the Israelis out, They created or leveraged what they call resistance groups. But Western governments like the U.S., we call terrorist organizations. And you probably recognize some of the names either directly involved in trying to destroy Israel or very supportive of the idea, such as Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State, Islamic Jihad. 
But this morning, there are another couple that we need uh, to talk about and know about because it is they who organized the weekend's terror attacks in Israel. We are going to talk about the group Hezbollah and most especially Hamas. Now, in the transcripts, you can explore more of the history of these groups. But for now, we are going to focus on the year 2007. And if you have a map on your phones or computers or in your minds, you might want to grab it and reference it. So, starting in the year 2007, the group Hamas took over an area of the region known as the Gaza Strip. It was populated by Palestinians or Arabs. And when that happened, the countries that surrounded that area, uh, Israel and Egypt, they were deeply alarmed. Now, they each had their own reasons for their alarm. Israel, for instance, was profoundly concerned because Hamas has resolutely promised to destroy Israel. But both countries were united about one other thing. Each feared the country of Iran and their influence. And that is because Hamas gets much of its uh, financial support and war material from Iran or its terror groups that it funds like Hezbollah. So when Hamas took over that Gaza Strip back in 2007, both Egypt and Israel took strong actions. Namely, they slapped on a blockade of that little parcel of land. And for the past 16 years, the Palestinians or Arabs living there, which are about 2 million in total, have existed under that total blockade. And as but one consequence, that has meant that they have largely been banned from traveling or engaging with the world. And that is either a very good thing because they support suicide bombings and terror, you know, to wipe Israel off the map, or it is a very bad thing because the blockade has resulted in poverty for those two million people in Gaza. And a high number of Palestinians and Arabs have been jailed because of their so-called involvement with terror acts. But either way, this blockade has been the reality in Gaza for over the past 16 years. But in the midst of this darkness, shall we say, there has been some light in the Middle East, a hope for peace. And here's why. Arab governments have increasingly accepted Israel's right to exist. And they've started to normalize relations with the Jewish state. For example, in the year 2020, Israel reached normalization with a country called the United Arab Emirates, also another country called Bahrain. And it happened under what some of you might have heard uh, called the Abraham Accords. Fantastic news and a great development in that region. At the same time, Israel also upgraded its ties with the country of Morocco and Sudan. Plus, you add in years ago, Egypt and Jordan also recognized Israel. In other words, we had a lot of great progress. The hope, the big, big hope, though, was with Saudi Arabia. If the Saudis would only recognize Israel and its right to exist, that would profoundly change the Middle East. And it would likely encourage those remaining Arab nations to fully recognize Israel. And finally, at long last, we could have peace in the Middle East. And that peace between the Saudis and Israelis it was coming so close to happening. Last week, Reuters News Service reported that talks were advancing to a point that the U.S. was offering the Saudis some very special military deals and protections in exchange for the Saudis recognizing the Israeli state. Indeed, a part of the deal, the, the Saudis were offering to increase oil production and bring down oil prices. So things were moving along quite well. But all of that, that prospect of peace, that was an absolute nightmare for other Middle Eastern nations and groups, most especially and including Iran, plus Hezbollah and Hamas. In fact, just days before the attacks over this past weekend, Iran's leader delivered a speech claiming that the Zionist regime, as he calls Israel, will soon come to an end. 
In other words, Iran and these terror organizations were plotting a, a pretty major attack to upend the peace process. They were just waiting for the right moment to do it. And that moment was last Saturday, October 7th at 6 a.m. in the morning local time. So that, my friends, is the background to understanding what happened over the weekend and all the players involved. Let me now briefly summarize what we've just spoken of. So we started with that history thousands of years in a a land that is arguably the most contested in the world. Lots of claims of ownership by different groups and tribes, nations and religions. Over the past 100 years, there has been, as we would expect, a horrific series of wars between these various groups to include the Jewish and Arab people. But there has been this glimmer of hope just over the past few years. Peace was at long last starting to take hold. But one of these Middle Eastern nations, Iran, and one of their terror groups, Hamas, didn't want that. They do not want Israel to exist at all. So they just launched these horrific, audacious terror attacks against Israel. The goal, of course, was to demonstrate to all Arab nations that peace with Israel will never happen and that the Jewish state must be destroyed. And so the message is from Tehran this morning and Hamas and Hezbollah. If you even think about trying to secure peace with Israel... We'll blow it up, literally. In fact, after our first break, I'll share some painful details. Hundreds of people now dead, hundreds more kidnapped, and the world is in shock as observers called this weekend's attacks Israel's 9-11. So when we come back, I'm going to share with you exactly what happened, how in the heck Hamas pulled this off, and then what likely comes next. As ever for my paid subscribers, thank you. For my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and enjoy the following messages, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan or maybe a pandemic again? Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted, and that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about JaceMedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at JA semedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use, with potency lasting for years, should the worst ever come. So, friends, go to jacemedical.com. Enter promo code right. That is W R I G H T, and you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code right at J A S E Medical.com. Hurricane season is upon us with all eyes on Hurricane Lee this morning, which means that the time to prepare is right now. And to be prepared, you should order emergency food kits and supplies from 4Patriots.com. Their long-lasting and tasty food options are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it the most. And that's because 4Patriots Survival Food Kits are hand-packed in the United States. They last for upwards of 25 years. They include a wide variety of breakfasts and lunches and dinners. 
and they are backed by thousands of five-star customer reviews. But I should say that for Patriots, they're ready for you even after hurricane season. You can use for Patriot survival foods after, say, a temporary power outage or a Chinese invasion or in a couple of months, a winter blizzard. But I'll tell you, with four Patriots sitting on your shelf, none of that matters. You are ready for whatever comes your way. And right now, you can go to fourpatriots.com and use promo code RIGHT, that's my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get 10% off your first order. So go to fourpatriots.com. That is the number fourpatriots.com. Use that promo code RIGHT, W-R-I-G-H-T, and you're going to get that 10% off your first order. Again, that is fourpatriots.com. And go there, ladies and gentlemen, today. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Welcome back to The Right Report, folks. Let's continue with our special brief this morning on the war in Israel and what this means for you. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that starting in at least August of this year, the country of Iran began plotting with Hamas to launch a full-scale invasion of Israel by air, land, and sea. And here is that plan, which kicked off at 6 a.m. on Saturday. As Jewish Israelis were waking up on the last day of what is a Jewish holiday, Hamas struck first by air, launching somewhere between 2,000 and 5,000 rockets. Now, I want to put that number to context. During a previous war between Hamas and Israel, Hamas fired 4,000 rockets over 50 days. Right? Compare that to virtually the same number fired on just Saturday. In other words, it was a massive, overwhelming barrage. And those Hamas rockets targeted the walls and fencing and and border checkpoints between Gaza and Israel. And they knocked out the observation towers, the cameras, and they killed some very important Israeli defense personnel. Now, once those defenses were weakened, Hamas then launched a series of drone strikes to further cripple those border defenses. Exact number of the drones and the types involved are unknown as of this morning, but whatever they were, they were powerful. Then, with Israeli forces dead or blind on those borders, Hamas sent in a new weapon. It was a paraglider assault team. Those armed paragliders landed on roads, whether they be commercial districts or residential districts, and also the paragliders landed at a music festival later that Saturday morning. And once they landed, and irrespective of where they landed, they detached their their paraglider sail from what was a rudimentary dune buggy. There was one driver and one shooter. And at that point, Hamas launched a ground assault, right? They attacked their weakened border defenses of the Israelis with explosive vehicles, bulldozers even. And they punched through some very important key holes on that border wall and fencing with then Hamas fighters streaming through. Now, I should note that there was another final third assault by sea. Details are still trickling in this morning. I'll bring you those separately as I learn of them. But regardless, Hamas at that point then had its full terror assault team on the ground. And what happened next is pretty horrific. For folks who have kids with them listening, you you may want to stop for now and have them step away. 
At this point, Hamas fighters began slaughtering both Israeli Defense Forces, police, and most especially civilians. They shot people on roadways. They filmed themselves with their phones or GoPros, pulling victims from cars, torturing them, killing them, kidnapping them, and then they would take their corpses as trophies. And as they did, they shouted, Akbar, or God is great. Hamas fighters then started driving through all these various small little cities on the border with Gaza, and they would burst into the homes. We have video of Hamas taking power tools to unlock doors, removing them from the hinges. And once they did, they would go inside, grab the residents, and as you would imagine, do horrible things. They would rape, torture, kill victims, including children and the elderly. In fact, we have video of one elderly woman who was kidnapped from her wheelchair and taken back to the Gaza Strip, where she is now, as of this morning, as a hostage. Now, I also mentioned a little bit earlier a music festival. Paragliders landed there and began shooting into the crowds. There are over 250 confirmed dead this morning from that festival. Meanwhile, others at the concert, if they weren't killed, they were taken hostage. And I should say, it is not just Israelis that Hamas killed or kidnapped. We have confirmed reports that the citizens from Brazil, Germany, Mexico, Thailand, and the United States were all at that concert and all either killed or taken back to Gaza as hostages. So all in all, ladies and gentlemen, per global and Israeli press, plus national government reports say that there are at least 700 people dead in Israel this morning and at least another 100 hostages. If I could put that into context, these latest figures are more dead and captured than every year in Israel since 2008 combined. And that is why observers are calling Saturday's attack Israel's 9-11. Well, in response to Saturday morning's assault, as you would imagine, the Israeli government was outraged and indeed they declared war. Prime Minister Netanyahu has said that he and his country will now seek vengeance. As of this recording, indeed, they are doing so, launching counterstrikes that have destroyed buildings in Gaza and reportedly killed over 200 or more Palestinians or Arabs. Well, as you would imagine, most of the world was shocked by these horrifying images over the weekend of death and torture, kidnapping. Indeed, most of the Western nations of the world have responded with promises of support. Joe Biden, for instance, said that America's support for Israel is absolutely rock solid. He's also planning to provide major weapons transfers, probably at some point this week, the next couple of days. Mr. Biden is also planning to move U.S. naval assets and planes all the way to or near the coast of Israel, all as a show of force. And that is going to uh, include at least the USS Gerald Ford Carrier Strike Group, plus additional F-35s, F-15s, F-16s, and A-10s. Meanwhile, Arab countries, well, they are taking the opposite approach. They are not supportive of Israel this morning. Indeed, as tradition holds, they are backing Hamas. The country of Iraq, for example, they are cheering the attacks. Kuwait is doing much the same. The country of Qatar, which is a longtime backer of Hamas, is also quite pleased with these attacks. Next, the government of Iran and Hezbollah, uh, as you would imagine, are celebrating this morning. Quite literally, members of the Iranian parliament were singing and dancing over the weekend in their parliament building, celebrating the deadly attacks. Meanwhile, their supreme leader, Khamenei, again, he is the man who funded and authorized the attacks over the weekend. He is calling it, quote, a proud operation, end quote. So the wild card nation uh, in the Middle East this morning is the country of Saudi Arabia. So their initial assessment blamed Israel like virtually all other Arab countries. But a subsequent statement 
was a little bit less directive at laying blame at Tel Aviv. Still, the overall message from Arab nations this morning is pretty darn clear. They believe at some level that Israel got exactly what they deserve because of how they treat the Arab or Palestinian people in Gaza. One final thing to note before we take our final break. It's not just Arabs who are celebrating this morning. Some people in America are celebrating these terror attacks too. Leading those celebrations are Democrats and leftist groups like the Democrat Socialists of America, also known as DSA. DSA members include people like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, plus people like Elon Omar and others who, of course, caucus with the Democrat Party. In fact, they held a rally in New York City yesterday praising Hamas, these terrorist attacks, and the resiliency of the people in Gaza. So, folks, that is the state of things this morning. The facts and data, at least as of this recording, much more to come with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu saying to his people over the weekend, they are, quote, now embarking on a long and difficult war, end quote. So, my goodness, what are we to make of all of these horrific facts and data? What lessons can we learn? Must we learn? And what's likely to come next? Well, let's talk about all of that after our final break of the morning. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report, pivoting now from facts and data to my analysis and opinion on this horrific war in Israel. We're going to cover five tactical things that I want to put on your radars and then five strategic concerns, with strategic being sort of the big picture for why this is so important for not just America, but the world. But let's actually start with those five tactical concerns for your radars, those immediate things that I'm watching. And let's talk about the news that we need to be watching for. First, it is my understanding that Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah have more attacks planned. Uh, Hezbollah is going to be attacking from the north, Hamas from the south, and assorted terrorist attacks from the West Bank. So that is what I will be uh, watching for over the next 48 hours at least. Second, the Israelis will likely respond with a pretty darn heavy hand. In fact, we're seeing that this morning. And that means that casualties, both Israeli and Palestinian or Arab, will likely be quite high. So let's prepare to see a lot of damage, a lot of death, with some truly horrifying images all around. Third, and speaking of horrible images, those Israeli kidnap victims and all those from other parts of the world, they face a very sad future, I suspect. It's possible that Israel's very capable teams will be able to save some of them, but it is unlikely that they will save all or even most of them. I, I hope I am wrong, of course. Fourth, we could see that this war will expand tactically in some very unusual ways. For instance, the Taliban this morning has asked Iran for permission to pass through their territory to attack Israel. In other words, folks, it's not out of the realm of possible that U.S. military weapons and ammunition that we left behind in Afghanistan when Mr. Biden retreated using your taxpayer dollars to purchase all those things, well, it is quite possible that that stuff being used by the Taliban will now be taken to the Middle East and specifically Israel to kill Israelis. Or maybe it's possible that that's already happened. We don't know. That's what I'm watching for. Fifth, and speaking of ammunition and weapons, we're running short. Right. We have dedicated so much of our artillery to the war in Ukraine that we have limited supplies to offer the Israelis or, frankly, have around for other contingencies. In fact, something that you might not know, we have an emergency supply of weapons stockpiled in Israel that are supposed to be used for Middle Eastern crises. But we took a large percentage of that stuff out last January 
and we gave it to Ukraine. So those are the top five tactical concerns, if you will, that I'm watching to see how they play out. And well, now they are on your radars too. Let's now step back and think strategic. Let's think about how this affects America and the world big picture. I think that we've got five things to think about here. And I will say you're going to hear a lot more questions than answers, but let's ask them anyway to prepare ourselves for future right uh, report briefs. First, we start with this question. How does Israel respond now that we know that this entire terror operation was funded and resourced by Iran? Now, most reasonable people would say that the Israelis have every right to launch whatever reprisals they want to, to include a full-scale war in Gaza, certainly, but also strikes on Iran. Second, if Israel does strike Iran, will they use their nuclear weapons to do so? Right. For what it's worth, Israel has dozens to about 100 or so nuclear warheads at their disposal. So perhaps they just, well, drop a nuclear bomb or two or 100 on Iran before Iran nukes them. Now, I don't know if they will, but it all comes down to this. Have the Israeli people and their government seen enough over these many decades to just want a final war to end it all? Or do they think that they can still hammer out a peace deal with the, with the Saudis or Hamas and Iran? I don't know. That is a noble at this hour of what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his government, is, they are thinking. But nevertheless, that is certainly strategic concern number two. Third, part of the calculus of whether or not Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu uses these full-scale strikes or even, God forbid, nuclear weapons is whether or not he has faith in his military and intelligence agencies and whether he has faith in his partners all around the world. And that's because he needs not only his people, but his allies to help him execute a war plan. And I must say that he's probably a little bit worried this morning because this Hamas attack was at a scale that is so big, full of all sorts of logistics from phone calls and emails and flights and shipments of all kinds, that intel agencies throughout the Middle East were absolutely picking up on some of this attack or all of it so it happened and how did that happen my goodness because the the Mossad at least in my view is the best intel service in the world better than the CIA so what exactly happened inside the Mossad that allowed this to happen for what it's worth I've seen the reports that they have become deeply politicized and leftist and they are opposed very much to Prime Minister Netanyahu but even if that were to be true, I just can't believe that they would let their own people die like this. They're a country, they're a country to be attacked like this because of personal politics. Meanwhile, and speaking of intel failures, what did the CIA and NSA know? And I ask that because every single person in Washington, D.C. who follows foreign affairs, they know that any potential peace deal between the Saudis and Israelis, the one that I mentioned earlier, that is going to result in some sort of attack by Iran and Hamas and Hezbollah to push the peace process off the tracks. So what did we know? And what did we tell the Israelis? Or what did we not tell the Israelis and why? Fourth, and speaking of our role, is the Biden White House responsible for this attack in any way? And here's why that is now an open question. Mr. Biden and his team recently released $6 billion in frozen Iranian cash and gave it to that terror regime to use for, quote, humanitarian purposes, end quote. So to refresh our memories on this deal, about a month ago, 
Mr. Biden agreed to release five Iranian prisoners and release $6 billion in seized Iranian cash. And in exchange, we got five American prisoners that were held in Iran, but no cash. Now, if you recall, that was a very controversial deal at the time, announced on September 11th of all dates. But now it's even more alarming. And here's why. CNN's host, uh, Wolf Blitzer, recently questioned the White House uh, spokesman, John Kirby, and asked him, wouldn't the $6 billion that we are effectively giving Iran for humanitarian purposes just free up Iran's other cash that they could use for terror operations? Well, Mr. Kirby responded to that question and uh, Mr. Blitzer by saying, quote, it's a possibility they could use those funds for terror. We can't predict what they will do, end quote. My goodness. So let's think about that and imagine how that translates to the minds of our enemies. How do they see us now? Because we have just effectively given a terror state $6 billion, as this very interesting question was asked by the folks at CNN. Well, this issue of how our enemies view us takes us to our fifth and final strategic issue to ponder this morning, and that is China. Now, to understand this, let's do a thought experiment. Let's say that you are in charge of China, leading that country, and you look at the world and your biggest enemy, America, this morning. How do you see the United States? We'll start in the White House. Do you see Joe Biden as a man of strength and resolve? Or do you see a likely dementia patient? However you answer those questions, you don't have to realize that indeed Joe Biden and the United States military are now tied up in a $70 billion war in Ukraine, are struggling with key weapon systems like all those artillery systems that we're not producing enough of. And now we've got this potential war in Israel that Mr. Biden and his American military are involved with. In other words, if you're sitting in Beijing and you're looking at this situation with Mr. Biden and his military and his allies, well, do you think they're going to be able to respond to a new war in the Pacific with you, China, as they're facing two wars, one in Europe and one in the Middle East? And then what about the financial angle to that? Can the U.S. financially afford to fight not one, not two, but three wars with a $33 trillion national debt? Again, imagine those things, imagining that we are Beijing this morning, knowing that, well, if we are to believe what is out there in the press and what I've shared with you, that China has wired this country from top to bottom with their cyber actors to include controlling utility systems, amongst other things. Now, I don't know if you put, as you put all those things together, what Beijing would ultimately think this morning, but I do know this. There is no perfect time for China to invade Taiwan, but this moment in history feels very intriguing, given all the actors and all the things that are happening. It's not a slam dunk, but it is an opening, depending on how this war in Israel goes and, of course, the war in Ukraine. So that is why, ladies and gentlemen, for me, as I add up the constellation of issues and troubles, both tactical and strategic, that I am quite alarmed this morning. I feel as unsettled now as I did immediately after America's 9-11 attacks. And I, I am sorry to say that I have much less faith in our military and the intel communities to step up to the challenge. And I have next to no faith in the White House or Mr. Biden's team. To be clear, I sure hope that I'm wrong on all my concerns and all my alarm. I earnestly hope that all of these tactical and strategic issues that I raised, I, I hope that everything breaks our way. I'm just not sure that that's true. And so in the meantime... Let's keep our heads on a swivel, folks, and I'm going to do my part 
to keep watch, and I will keep you posted as ever on The Right Report. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. Hear the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.